Welcome back to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings you the biggest names in motorcycle racing. I'm PJ Doran. And I'm Dave Selecki. This week, we have the owners of Janus Motorcycles, Devin Beek and Richard Warsham and Grant Harlan, a very exciting new motorcycle company that if you haven't heard about, can't wait to tell you about. But first, here's the latest news in the industry. Big weekend of racing again. Supercross Series delivers. Oakland Supercross, just another one for the books. I thought uh, it was just incredible action. What do you think, PJ? I don't want to say I told you so, but my guy Tomac is catching fire. He uh, he looked really, really strong. Um, not to say anything uh, short about Roxon. My God, the guy's on a tear. Uh, he looked amazing and if third place is as bad as he does, uh, everybody else is going to have a hard time catching him for the title. Yeah, Roxon goes out and dominates his heat, which was 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 great. That that heat race was great because he had a lot of drama within that. Tomac stalls his bike and gets it going again, and Baggett was just hounding him the whole time. So you had yeah. a you had a real battle, and it, I'm like, save it for the main guys. We want to see some action, but uh, it would man, it was great. And yeah, Roxon. Still first in points. He's three up on Tomac, so, you know, I think he's going to be fine, but I, I think he, he, he's kind of the beta male now. I think Tomac's coming. Yeah, and uh, this is, as we have discussed previously, like it or lose it, this is how Tomac seems to start his Supercross seasons. It's a little slow, hit or miss. He's got speed, but he doesn't put it all together for the first couple of races. Then he's stalking whoever's out front, and right now it's Roxon. So I think it's going to be a great season. It bodes well for us fans because, yeah, Roxon's got the bit between his teeth, and we all, you know, how do you not pull for that guy as a Tomac fan and uh, a longtime one at that? He's long overdue, in my estimation, for winning this title. So I agree, and I don't want to jinx it by saying anything, so I'm going to leave him alone because he's, he's, <laughs> yeah. my, he's my guy and he's riding my bike. So Barsha. He has a tough heat. He ends up oh, gosh, blow, yeah. blowing an engine and rushes the bike back to the pits. They change the engine in 13 minutes and yeah, get, him, get him lined up. Yeah, get him lined up for the LCQ, and he goes out, and he, as you expect, he dominated that. Didn't didn't get the whole shot, but by the end of the first lap, he was he was out front and gone, as, you, as you'd expect Barsha to be in that crowd. So he gets into the main. He's still in third in points. He's... Uh, He's holding strong. I don't know where he's headed. It's hard to tell by watching him on the track. He doesn't seem as, I guess, frisky as he did when the season started. And I and I actually think in Supercross, it takes five to seven rounds before you really kind of know who's going to gravitate to the top and stay there. And I think two of the guys are there. The third guy that's haunting Tomac and Roxon is Cooper Webb, defending champ. I'm not going to take anything away from Jason Anderson. He is quietly, consistently staying well within reach of all the key players in the standings and at every race. He's had a little bit of bad luck here and there, no more or less than anybody else, but it just feels like he is by no means out of the running. He never is, and you can't underestimate a former champ, but, uh, boy, that get-off in his heat race. He, oh, uh, he, he ate a tough block pretty bad, and, and I don't even think – it kind of looked like Brees moved over on him a little bit and kind of forced him to jump to the left into that corner, and, yeah, it was ugly. I mean, he got up last. 
Yeah, speaking of moveovers, how about the 250 race? Our our man who's on, well, I don't know, are they calling it probation? It's a probation in effect in that they're watching his watching him very closely after his previous uh, issues on track, but we there was more drama in that area. Yeah, I'm with Ricky Carmichael. I'm okay with that movie made. I don't think he really touched Forkner when he went past him. No, he him. didn't. He just made a tight move, and Forkner really kind of had no choice but to go off the track. So it was a racing event, I would call it. Absolutely, he it, there was no malice there, and no. neither one of them seemed to be crying about it afterwards, which is a good sign. Yeah, so I think you know, Ferrandis, he's now first in points, and um, Cooper's dropped back a few. He's two points behind him. You've got a 250 series. It's again shaping up like the 450 class. It's Who's going to win this week? And, you know, what kind of drama is going to affect the outcome? You know, you've got Forkner kind of hovering around back there. He's 10 points down. I didn't think two weeks ago that he'd be this close. So give him credit. In both classes, it seems everyone now that we've we've got some races under our belt need to somewhat stay focused on not committing the huge mistake that can wipe out your season. Now we're in the, the heart of the season. Be consistent. If you don't have it to win it that night, don't do anything suicidal, right? I yeah. mean, that's unfortunately what we see oftentimes about this time of the season. Yeah, and it's a little bit of the walking wounded. You've got quite a few riders hurt, so, you know, who's left is matriculating to the top. And the guy that uh, really impressed me the whole weekend, though, I mean, all of that racing, 250, 450 class, the guy that blew me away was was Justin Hill. Goes out, whole shots his heat, and wins it, and then finishes uh, eighth in the final. There's a guy I don't think anybody expected, as Tony would say this, maybe he didn't even expect he'd be there. But uh, impressive ride for, you know, that MCR Honda team. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Alex Martin looked great in his heat, ended up the night in fourth. Uh, That's a guy that Tony uh, has previously uh, talked to us about. Uh, This needs to be, feels like it should be, his year to really come out of his shell and, and show this class what he's got. Yeah, you'd hope so. He's hovering around fifth in the class right now. He did whole shot the main. That Suzuki looked good out front again. Yeah, he, he did. And boy, he does that a lot. But here's the thing. He's 131 pounds. I don't know if anybody knows that. He's a tiny guy. He's got power to weight ratio, probably more so than most of the guys in that class, like Hart Frant, who's six foot two, and some of the other big guys. But uh, yeah, nice, nice start again. He's been out front of a lot of races. Well, it was an exciting round, and we look forward to yet more of that coming. We've got uh, we don't yet start our eastward run. We've got one more out west, San Diego, uh, this coming weekend, and then we start our trot to the east, which I'm looking forward to, so we can see some of these 250 East stars, Dave. Yeah, me too. It's going to be interesting to see. We've got a whole new mix of riders coming in, and uh, hopefully more excitement and more more cool racing. It's been a great season. This week's trivia question here on Pit Pass. The question this week is, what year did motorcycles first employ flashing turn signals? We'll come back with that answer after we talk to our guests, Devin Beak and Richard Warsham, the co-owners of Janus Motorcycles here on Pit Pass. We're talking to Devin Beak and Richard Warsham. I hope I didn't butcher your names, gentlemen. They are the co-owners of Janus Motorcycles. Welcome to Pit Pass. Let's talk about your very interesting motorcycles, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. So for our listeners who aren't aware, 
Janus Motorcycles, how long have you guys been uh, incorporated, doing what you're now doing, that being producing 250-class motorcycles of a vintage bend for the retail market? Yeah, we're going on about nine years of business, and we've been manufacturing bikes for about seven of those years. Gotcha. So were you a custom, just straight up custom builder in the early days? The very early days before we were Janus, yeah, we started out in customs and then we moved on to forming Janus Motorcycles, which we focus on just production vehicles. And it is uh, interesting. Uh, Let's start by giving people the website where they can view your bikes because looking at them is one a treat and two tells the story of what it what it's all about it is most certainly different than most of the products in the current motorcycle marketplace yeah i'll just add a little bit to what devin said devin ran a vintage two-stroke it was really started off as a repair shop and then kind of morphed into restoration and eventually custom work. He ran that for what, 10, 12 yeah, years? Almost 12 years. Before, and that's how I met him, was I met him when I took an old vintage moped over to get fixed by him. And then over the next couple of years, we kind of just really enjoyed working on things. And then in the summer and fall of 2011, we found a Janus, but the goal with Janus Motorcycles has always been a production motorcycle company. Uh, it was kind of a actually an escape from custom work for us uh, because we were tired of working on other people's designs and we wanted to do something that was wholly and completely original. I'm curious and fascinated by the story. And how did you guys identify that niche? I mean, what drove you to come up with a custom configurable approach to to selling motorcycles that nobody else seemed to think of or do before that? Yeah, well, I... You know, we did have that custom background, and so and that was something that, that was influencing what we were doing. But really, when we when we started it, it we didn't do any market research. Really, um, you know, it was really just kind of let's build what we want. I don't think that we would have made the Halcyon model based on market research. However, it's turned. We, we, it would have been a cafe racer or something because that's what people you'd think want. But we made that bike and just kind of lucked out because. People really do want a design that is so unique and so um, iconic looking as the Halcyon. Our, uh, that's definitely our flagship model. But then as we got into it, you know, it just made sense that we make a modular kind of design that can be, you know, turned into different models and then to have the upgrades be things that, well, I guess we just never wanted to say no for what, you could do to the bike. And so we've all, uh, the, the, the history of Janus has sort of been a history of us saying, okay, we got to stop with the upgrade options and custom work. Um, but there's still a lot of things that are, uh, that are available with the bike. And that's just that, I think that goes back to the fact that we are, we are so interested in custom work and, and in, um, the actual design and making of the parts. And so it is, we, we always walk a line of, we call it kind of like custom production because um, it is everything that we make comes out of a jig or a fixture and is production, but there's just a lot of different options yeah, it's, <laughs> to make it, it yours. In the industry, it's known proto-duction. Yeah. Pro- yeah prototype production. <laughs> so uh, how has it turned out? Uh, really, I'm really interested to find out. You have a customer base who's kind of gravitated towards you. What's the cross-section? What's the demographic? Is it – the reason I ask this question, and bear with me a quick second – I recently bought a Royal Enfield 650. So 
talking to the dealer there, he said, you would be surprised how few new riders are buying into that model and how many long-time riders, 40-, 50-year guys and ladies have come out to buy these motorcycles because they're fascinated that it's that retro vintage feel and look without the headaches, yeah. right? So yeah. with your customer base, have you seen – hopefully you're bringing new riders into the sport, which is ideal. But are you also getting the glow of the previous riders? Well, it's funny you say that because our customer base is, is uh, quite a few of them are people that maybe when they were young, they had a like a Trail 70 or a whatever, you know, light, small bike. And they, and they are kind of going back to that. Uh, many, many of our owners are – seasoned riders they have typically have a number of motorcycles often harley davidson's um and yeah i i would i would concur or, or validate what you were saying in the sense that if you were to kind of boil down a, or generalize our our uh customer base it is older veteran riders that are interested in some in the story and in having something that really sets it up sets them apart that said we we do have new riders we are we are bringing people into the um motorcycling because of the lightweight easy to manage uh nature of the bikes but i think our customer base is pretty typical of the motorcycle industry where you know disposable income sort of starts happening in your maybe at the 50 year half a century of (laughs) your life i would agree And, (laughs) and uh and so um you know, we are not the cheapest 250 in the world, and um, that definitely plays into it. Um, I don't think it's um, it's it's just people. Are, you know, our age, Devin and I, in our in our 30s, um, like, don't, aren't even buying motorcycles at all. We're you know we're we, oftentimes what we say when it comes to young riders is our our competition is used bikes. <laughs> good good point, and I think you know you're 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 selling into the club. You're getting people on board, and you're personalizing it, and then I think. That's the hook that none of the bigs or none of the OEMs have really – you might say Harley-Davidson to some extent has done that, maybe a few smaller ones. But nobody's bought into that hook yet where you're personalizing it. You're making it their personal identity by letting them pick a la carte every option yep. on the vehicle. Yep. Like like you buy a new car, right? And part of that process for the customer is knowing us. Um, we, we, we try and maintain an extremely personal uh, relationship with all of our customers so when they – when they buy their bike, they call in and they talk to someone who works here at Janus, and that person will kind of hold their hand through the whole process. They get pictures sent to them of the bike from a bare frame all the way through the build process. They oftentimes will show up and pick up the bike in person. They get to meet everybody. A lot of people get the chain guard on their on their motorcycle signed by everybody who built the bike. So it's they can kind of become part of the story, and um, and it's. It really is a lot about that story and, and, and the identity that it, they're, they're pretty rare. And it's a, it's a really cool story. You can show up with one of these at a motorcycle show. And I mean, last year we just got flooded people sending pictures of the first places they went at motorcycle shows because they are, they really catch your eye. How <laughs> awesome is that? That's, that is really cool. And to, to echo your, uh, your sentiments, uh, I mean, one, you're not the least expensive 250, but honestly, you're not uh, out in left field either. I would not say for the level of uh, craftsmanship and personal uh, touches that a that a 
potential customer gets, you're not at all uh, off the page in in cost. How did you arrive at the 250 as the ideal size as an owner of multiple 250s and things smaller? I've, I find it, uh, you know, interesting that you've, uh, at least for, at this point in time, put all your eggs in the 250 basket. I'm in no way criticizing. I think it's a wonderful size machine. It gets you onto most of the roads in this very fair country of ours. Well, when we set out, we wanted to build an appropriately sized motorcycle. And, and we, we kind of undershot the mark when we started off because we were we got into this through old mopeds and two strokes and 50 cc's. And so we we built, we started off with a 50 cc version of the Halcyon. And that one was good for about 55 miles an hour. And it was a six speed water cooled two stroke. It was a, a thing of beauty. Don't get me wrong. They are still amazing bikes, but they were, it was just a lot of work, you know, to get shift all the gears and you're just screaming along. And, and we realized, um, after, you know, we built about 43 of those and that was really when, that's where we worked a lot of our, the kinks out of the build process and our vendor network. But we realized that there, first of all, there was, they weren't fast enough and there was no way we were going to get through, uh, EPA, California certification, you know, uh, emissions testing Very with a two stroke. And it was just, it was not, uh, it wasn't the bike that, we, that that would do, you know, what we always say is try and get a bike that does, you know, like 80% of what you need to do is, is what, what the bike does. You know, it's like most of the time you're on a motorcycle, it's just for fun on the weekends. And it's, you're not, you don't want to get on the interstate. Now there are very nice motorcycles that are made for getting on the interstate and riding a thousand miles. Ours are designed for around town, short excursions, all the kind of fun things that you mostly do on a motorcycle anyway. So when we, the, the 250, the, the decision to, to go with that was really, this is, this is the power that, that when it's paired with the weight of our bikes, which are so, so very lightweight is, is going to create this kind of recipe for just fun, not a whole lot of like, you know, you know, you, you uh, 800 pound bike is just a, it's a big deal to even get it out of the garage. And this, the whole point is just get rid of all that, you know, get rid of everything that's covering things up, get rid of the fairings, get rid of all the accessories, all the electronics, all the, all the excess and just have it be about an engine, two wheels and, uh, what um uh, gas tank <laughs> and half the suspension as well in the case of your halcyon which yeah <laughs> that it. is that is startling to me that uh, <laughs> that a modern day hardtail is 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 that your best selling model it absolutely is we saw so many wow. more of those than anything else wow. And, it, wow and that's because and that's not just because people want the look many people they come they show up and they go they, we have discovery days twice a month where we open the shop and give tours and take everybody out for lunch. It's a real fun, fun Saturday morning, but we, a lot of people come in and they say, you know, I'm not going to get that. That Halcyon looks cool, but you know, way am I riding a hardtail? Let me try the, you know, Phoenix or Griffin. And then they, and then we say, well, try the Halcyon, see what you think. And as soon as they ride it, they realize, wow, this thing isn't uncomfortable. It's actually quite comfortable. I, I are always argue that it's our most comfortable model. I've done some really long distance rides across the country in six days, uh, a lot of uh, iron butt rides, thousand miles in twenty four hours, and I always choose the Halcyon, and I attribute that to the fact that prior to nineteen fifty, motorcycles weighed less than five hundred pounds, and they put out less than fifty horsepower in the most you know, in for for the most part, and that combination means that you, you aren't getting hit in the back with 
a very, very, very heavy motorcycle. It's like riding a bicycle. Um, we always joke that to Harley riders, you know, say, you know, get, get ready. This is closer to a bicycle than your Harley Davidson. And that combination, it, it's just like a, a, a motorcycle from the, from the, an earlier period where it, it didn't need rear suspension. And these are, they're just, they're comfortable. You know, if you hit a big pothole, you're going to feel it. <laughs> we, we don't, we have no, uh, we don't pretend to, to say that rear suspension isn't valuable, but for what they're used for, they're fantastic. I would imagine it's, it is uh, an appropriate size motor leads to an appropriate speed for, for that type of suspension or lack thereof. And, and, you know, we, I, I can, I could be just, you know, blowing smoke, but we always tell people try one out, you know, come to one of our discovery days. Um, you know, it's, it's really is the pe- many of the people that have bought the bike and then make it the most popular model have ridden it, talk to an owner and they'll tell you, um, their experience. So it's a, that's a big part of it as well. It's a great way to sell motorcycles for sure. I agree. And, uh, your, your website's awesome by the way, too, um, loaded with content. The how to videos, I think are a great idea. Again, I think you've done things that even the bigs haven't thought of or just aren't expending the effort to do, but You've done those touch points that make sense. How to winterize your motorcycle. Here's a short video, you know, as an example. So well done, uh, both of you guys. I think uh, I think you guys have struck a chord, and I really was fascinated reading your story and now hearing you guys on, you know, live talk about it. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's what this industry needs is, is people who think like this are, have that uh, working out of your garage mentality to the market and aren't forcing models down people's throats as far as, you know, what the offering and the product line is. So really, really well done. Thank Thank you. you. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us on Pit Pass. Sadly, our time is coming to a close. It is JaniceMotorcycles.com, correct? That's the best way to get the whole story on what you guys are doing, right? Check out the website, and if you have any more questions, we're here. Give us a call. I got to make a discovery day. I think that's in my future. Sounds good. (laughs) We look forward to talking to you guys again, and uh, thanks for talking with us today. We'll be back on Pit Pass. Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. We'd like to thank the fellas from uh, Janus Motorcycles. It was an interesting conversation, and uh, check them out at JanusMotorcycles.com. Just really, really enthusiastic group of guys and uh, interesting products. So, Moving forward, this week's Pit Pass trivia question of the week was, what year did motorcycles first employ flashing turn signals? And the answer is 1939. Amazing. I I would have thought it was much later, but... I would have too. Cars still had uh, semaphore-type flashers in those years even in certain uh, markets. Didn't they have oil lamps for for headlights back then, (laughs) I think? Let me ask you, PJ, do you know your motorcycle hand signals? I absolutely do. Okay, good. So I, I, I have occasion. I still use them, even when I use my flashers. I, but you know. I use them all the time. I own a dual sport that uh, routinely doesn't have turn signals on it, but it is street legal. So you've got to know them, or uh, you're going to get stopped and talked to. Well, I have a retro modern street bike, so it doesn't have self-canceling turn signals. So I'm that old guy in the left lane with my turn signal. <laughs> Your going. right turn signal on for yeah. an hour and a but half. But I always yeah, try. Yeah. I always try to do the hand signals because I ride offensively and defensively at the same time. Always looking out, because you never know. Yep, that is appropriate. Who we got next, Dave? Okay, coming up, we've got an interesting interview with an upcoming rider, Grant Harlan, who was uh, recently signed to Ty Lube Honda. So uh, look forward to talking to Grant. 
Okay, our next interview is with upcoming racer from Ty Lube Honda Racing Team. We have uh, Grant Harlan on the line. Grant, how's your season looking, buddy? Uh, it's looking good. Uh, heading to uh, MTF right now to get some testing done with the team. Buddy Brooks and, uh, and, and Jordan get some time on the race bikes and then uh, going to head back to Oklahoma and put some laps in before Tampa. Tampa's right around the corner, Grant. Uh, congratulations on your new signing. Uh, how long was this deal in the works? I'm always curious for a, for a young, obviously fast rider. How long does that take when uh, you're getting your first deal going? Uh, I mean, in terms of like getting getting the contract and everything, it, it didn't take too long. But I would say it's been, been in the works since uh, the beginning of last year, actually. You were dealing with the principals there at Ty Lube? Yeah, it was kind of like getting used to the team and, and seeing how it would work out for, for Supercross this year, my last year as, as an amateur. And I would say it went really well and got signed for, for the Supercross team. So that's super cool. So you came out of Loretta's in 2018, and then that's when that dialogue starts with the race team, start kind of asking, are you available? Uh, you know, do you want to come to us? Is that how that works? Yeah, yeah. It really got started around uh, Minio's in, uh, in 2018. Uh, got a title there in the 450 Pro Sport class, and then I uh, I went to Supercross Futures and got my points and unfortunately broke my hand, but that was that was when I made the switch, switch to the Honda. And you've also had some uh, some arena cross experience since then. I see you've done the uh, the Hoosier Arena Cross Series, which is out in like Oklahoma and and uh, Missouri. How'd that go for you? Yeah, I've been doing a little bit of the Hoosier Arena Cross, and I've also done the uh, the Kicker Arena Cross, which is the AMA AMA official series this year, which has been really good. Got got to battle a lot of fast guys like Michael Hicks and uh, Kobush are some big names that have been doing the uh, the Hoosier ones, and then. Uh, Jace Owen, Kyle Peters, uh, Bitterman, Stank Dog, and the Kicker. So it's been a it's been good experience, I would say, racing those guys. For sure, that's that's the series where you really learn how to keep those elbows up and in protecting yourself, right? Yeah, for sure. I know uh, there's a lot of pushing and shoving that goes on. Jace Owen's talked about it in the past, where you get into that 450 class and there's big guys that want to move you over. Yeah, it's definitely uh, tight, aggressive racing, but I I say that's. Uh, I say that's good practice before uh, before Supercross. Where are you based out of, Grant? I live in Texas, but I train uh, up in Oklahoma with Greg Albertson. Gotcha. So you're going to be staying central during the East Coast leg of the 250 series you're you're now involved in. Yeah. So where are you going testing at? Did you say Georgia? Yeah, I'm heading to uh, MTF right now. Now, does the rest of the team go down to Millsaps, or is it just just yourself? You're going there to train by yourself, or no? Jordan Bailey, who's uh, going to be my teammate this year, uh, trains at MTF, and and the weather's a little bit nicer down here right now, so that's uh, that's why I'm heading here, and and the team's going to come down too. And that's always a plus. You want to have good weather to train in. Now, it's, it's a training session. You are also testing the bikes. Are you getting things dialed in for suspension and get your engine package the way you want? Yeah, we're going to be uh, riding the race bikes and, and breaking those things in and, and making a few tweaks with the suspension. You got a lot on your plate. How old are you now, Grant? Have you been? I mean, clearly you've been racing for quite a while, but what's your age currently? I'm 18 now. Gotcha. Wow, 18 with a... 18 years young and going to the, the deep <laughs> end of the pool in Tampa. Yeah, that's a uh, pro contract. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in the Arena Cross Series, really, you mentioned a few names that you've gone up against. Now, when you get into the Supercross series, how many guys from your past? I mean, you, you came from a fast area of the country. You're talking Texas, Oklahoma, 
that's a real talented group of people that you had to come up through and race yeah. with. Yeah. Who do you expect to see on the track when you debut in Tampa? I would mostly expect a lot of the guys that I've been racing with last year, like Cobush and Halpane, I know, are two guys that I raced at Loretta's this year that are going to be uh, on the East Coast and hoping to be seeing, seeing a lot of the uh, the factory guys around me. How about some of the guys that have been there a few years that uh, that have come from that area, like Oldenburg? Have you have you raced against any of those guys? I've raced against a few of them at uh, some of like the local races, some of the money races. I know John Short, Ryder Floyd, um, Chase Marquier are uh, a few names that I'll be seeing on the East Coast. So it'll be cool battling with those guys. Yeah, for sure. Now you guys are prepping for this series coming up. What uh, have you ever ridden inside any of the big stadiums yet? I raced at the Futures last year, the Monster Cup as well. So actually, uh, I yeah, a little bit of experience. Yeah, and you did really, really, really well there. You got a fifth in the uh, 250 Futures class. So how was that track and experience compared to your past with you know the Kicker series or the Hoosier series? It was definitely different. You know, I wasn't too sure what to expect. I really only had like three or four days on a supercross track prior to that race so it was kind of kind of just going in and seeing what happens and i would say for the most part like i felt pretty comfortable on the track starts weren't great but we've been working on that so hopefully those are a little bit better uh here in two weekends yeah as we know in supercross starts are are really a lot of the race it really kind of determines the pecking order now when they run the futures program at the supercross events now they usually tame the track down quite a bit for the Futures group. Did they do that at the Las Vegas Stadium? The Futures races last year, I would say the tracks were fairly tame. They look like they're keeping them a little bit more technical this year, which I think is super cool. But Monster Cup was, uh, I mean, it was the same track the pros race, so it was it was still pretty technical with that, that one rhythm section in the middle. Everything else was pretty pretty easy, I would say. So thinking ahead into the summertime, you get through the Supercross season, are you uh, targeting the outdoor series also? Yeah, I definitely want to race all 12 outdoors. Kind of going to see what happens with uh, with the first few rounds of Supercross and, and see if we can get some plans in the works for that. I do remember seeing you at Loretta's in 2018, and you were really flying. It seems like you really like the outdoor the outdoor venues and the outdoor surfaces. You really look very natural out there. I mean, I, I just enjoy riding my dirt bike, man, whether it's be Supercross or Supercross or Motocross. And how big of a deal is it? Uh, most guys your age that are coming from where you're coming from, that being the amateur ranks, the very fast amateur ranks, they have uh, quite a bit of family involvement in their race program. Uh, is that been the case for you as well? Dad being a mechanic, mom involved, any of that stuff? The family's a, a huge part of it, really. Uh, couldn't really uh really do it without them me and my dad have been a rider mechanic for past i mean since i started really so it's definitely cool to cool to still be doing it with him and he's getting a bit of a breather now that you've joined uh, the next level bigger organization team now he gets to just be a spectator is he looking forward to that yeah i think he enjoys it a little bit not being uh too stressed out the on what's happened you know got a team behind me that knows what to do well, we are, we're looking forward to how things go for you as we begin. That You're only, uh, what, a week and a half, almost two weeks, not quite two weeks out from beginning this 250 East series. 250 West is 
been quite a battle. I imagine the the talent level is going to be every bit as deep in the in the East series. Is there anybody you uh, can't wait to line up against? Any old scores to settle? Not really. Kind of hoping to come in with a fresh start as a as a rookie. You know, amateur pro ranks are a little bit different. I think there's a there's a bigger respect to be had with with the professional level. So, you know, thinking about that even further, what what are your expectations going into this, realistic expectations going into the East? Your goal is to qualify every night? Yeah, I mean, I would love to love to make every main event this year for sure. Trying not to hold myself to too high of expectations, you know. I want to I want to focus on on riding to the best of my ability and not be worried about finishing in a certain spot, you know. Just kind of kind of let the results come to me. And that's a smart move. I think a lot of riders overestimate the difficulty of Supercross and sometimes expect too much of themselves. And really, your goal is to survive the first season so that you can build on it and go into the next season. Yeah, for sure. I think staying healthy, healthy for for the first season is is huge. And I couldn't agree more. Grant, we've uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Please carry on safely to your destination. Are there any uh, special people we want to give you a chance before we uh, wrap up your interview? Sponsors and people you want to thank? Yeah, I want to give a big thanks to uh, to Buddy Brooks for, uh, with the Thai Loop team for uh, for giving me the shot to uh, to attempt Supercross with with, uh, with some good help behind me. Um, Stormlight Honda, Game Motor. Greg Albertson for uh, for getting me ready, uh, kind of helping helping me prepare for for this first season. Uh, Yoshimura, Henson, um, Renthal, Hoosier Tire for uh, for getting me uh, maximum traction, Factory Connection, and and all the other guys that that helped the team out. Thank you. That's awesome, Grant. Thanks again for taking the time to join us on Pit Pass. We uh, look forward to how you uh, go in this upcoming series. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon on Pit Pass. Yeah, thank you. We'd like to thank Grant Harlan for coming on with us today. Great interview, an upcoming racer. Check him out at Tampa for the uh, start of Supercross East. Pit Pass Moto Racing coming up. We've got Supercross Round 6 in San Diego coming up this weekend, February 8th. That's Saturday. And we've also got Kicker Arena Cross in Reno, Nevada, which uh, starts on Friday, February 7th, and also on Saturday, February 8th. Yeah, I'm looking forward to those races. We're still six weeks out from what I will call the beginning of my love affair with motorcycles for the season, that being the Daytona Bike Week, led off, of course, on uh, Saturday the 7th with the Supercross, followed up a week later with the Daytona 200 on Saturday the 14th, and also the AFT round, um, the Daytona round, where they'll be racing American Flat Track inside the Daytona Motor Speedway. Look forward to that. I'm looking forward to uh, the entire season of road racing and flat track. Those are my big deals. Uh, it's about time. The weather has got me itching. I got to ride my scooter yesterday, Dave, so I'm a happy camper. Even though it was uh, Super Bowl Sunday, still managed to get my scooter out of the garage. I can't wax my motorcycle anymore. Yeah, you know, it's, it's as shiny it's, as it's, it's going to get. It's as shiny and clean as it's ever going to be. I need, I need spring to get here now. <laughs> yeah, and we've just been blanketed with snow, as I'm sure you guys have, in the Cleveland area. And then the last three days has just been a massive melt-off, so everything's wet and sandy here. Nonetheless, I did get my scooter out. I'm going to brag about it. I think I got to ride it on New Year's as well. Well, 
We want to thank again our guests today, Devin Beek and Richard Warsham of Janus Motorcycles. New product, all the time coming from them, and it's it's just really interesting. We enjoyed talking to them. Grant Harlan, the upcoming Tyloo Bracer. And we want to thank you, of course, for being with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when the new episodes drop, that being Thursday mornings, and they're uploaded. Of course, make sure you're following us also on Twitter and Facebook and pitpassmoto.com. This has been a production of the Evergreen Podcast Network. A special thank you to Ed Camp, social media contributors Chris Bishop and Tommy Boy Halverson, our producer Leah Longbreak, and of course our audio engineers Sean Roll Hoffman and Eric Colt now. I'm PJ. And I'm Dave. And we're going to see you next week on Pit Pass. Thank you for listening. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.